Power. Repeat after me. Power. power. Louder and proud one more time. Power. power. Who holds the power? <laughs> Apparently in this situation, I do, since I managed to get you to say power. But Dan in the sound booth there could quickly change that, so my power is up and walk right out of here if you don't like something I say, or you could just take a nap instead, which is probably more likely. So who holds the power? <laughs> Another set of questions is even more pressing. Would you like more power in your life? Would you like more power in your life? If so, what would you do with it and why? Power is at play wherever there are two or three gathered. The boss raises his voice, letting everyone know the buck stops here. That's a sign of the invisible fibers of power on display. The oversized fifth grader bullies the third grader against the wall during recess. That's power at play. The exasperated mother screams, I've had enough! And everyone remembers who has the power, who wears the pants, as we say. <laughs> who holds the power? Now, much like wind, the wind is, is, is blowing uh, pretty strongly today, right? But we can't see wind. We only see signs of wind. And that's how power is. It is an unseen reality. That doesn't mean it's any less real or effective. What we see is not power per se, but signs of power at work among us. We can't see the wind, but we see signs of its power at work. When the branches sway, we feel the power against our skin. Now, God also holds power, right? God holds all the power, sometimes we say. In the end, no matter how high and mighty we think we are, in the end, we'll have to report to God. By virtue of who God is as creator and sustainer of the universe, God's regime cannot be overthrown. But God's ways are not our ways. What's most striking about God's power is what he does with it and why. What God does with power and why. Let's take these thoughts about power with us as we read our scripture text for today which comes from the beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans, the letter to the Romans. So let's shift gears a bit and prepare for the scripture text by getting into the context a bit more, all right? So this letter called Romans, Paul is introducing himself to a group of Christians in Rome, Italy. Has anybody been to Rome, Italy? Yeah? Well, there we go, a handful of people. Rome is a city that's on the top of Paul's bucket list of places to travel. He longs to go to Rome, not for the Italian cappuccinos, which are delicious, but he wants to go to Rome because he's heard such amazing things about God's power at work in the lives of a small group of Christians in Rome. So, Paul writes them a letter of introduction this is the ancient form of a Facebook friend request. He includes in his friend request a message. You know how you can do that? You know, hi, it's me from high school. You know, I know we haven't talked in a while, but hey, you can stalk me if you want. 
Paul includes in his friend request a message. It's a long and complex message about God and God's powerful work through Jesus. Surely it would have struck them as bizarre, this letter from Paul. Now at this point in time, Paul's an old man. This is one of his last letters, we believe, and he's highly respected in the early church. Paul has seen firsthand God's power at work, ample evidence in his own life of God's power at work, and he wants to go to Rome to see more of it in the lives of these young Christians. But before he goes, he gets the sense that these young Christians need to grow up. They need to grow in their knowledge of God. He's inspired by the Spirit of God to write them a letter laying out some of these key ingredients of God knowledge. Here's what they need to know. So he begins. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through, through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves, you who are called to belong to Christ, to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you For I am longing to see you, so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather, so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. I've intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as I have among the rest of the Gentiles, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is important. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. 
So what does God do with his power and why? Verse 16 is our clue. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. It is the what? It is the power of God for salvation to whom? To everyone who has faith. After a drawn-out introduction, which is filled with layers and layers of meaning that we can't even begin to discuss today, Paul offers the church in Rome a summary of what the rest of the letter will be about. Most scholars call verses 16 and 17 the theme of Romans. It's Paul's thesis, if you remember those from school. It's the part you put at the beginning that describes everything that's about to follow. These two verses are loaded with concepts and ideas that he will unpack throughout the rest of the letter. Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge of God, and this is a summary of the knowledge he wants them to grow in. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he begins. It, the gospel, is the power of God. Let's stop and hang out there for a little bit. What does Paul mean when he says the gospel is the power of God? Remember, we're trying to figure out what God does with power and why. We're trying to figure this out because most of us here want more power in our lives, don't we? Do you want more power in your life? No? Doesn't sound like it. Let me ask you again. Do you want more power in your life? Okay. Four, maybe six people. All right. Paul is going to teach us how to receive more of God's power in our lives. But he's going to make us work for it. As Jesus' disciple Peter says in 2 Peter 3.16, and I quote, this is in the Bible, Paul's letters, he says, contain some things that are hard to understand. (laughs) That's that's in the Bible. Now, I'm certainly no Paul, but at least we have that in common. (laughs) We're both hard to understand at times. Help us, dear Jesus, understand. So God wants to teach us how to receive more of God's power in our lives, and we're going to have to use our brains. And he begins by saying, the gospel is the power of God. What does that mean? For starters, it means the gospel is not just a message. The gospel is not just words about Jesus. The gospel is also a source of immeasurable energy and strength available to you and me. The gospel is what will change the world. Let me provide two examples of human power to help us imagine God's power through the gospel. First up, Caesar. Caesar was the ruler of the ancient Roman Empire, the one that crucified Jesus. The sword is the power of Caesar. The gospel is the power of God. The sword is the power of Caesar. Violence, the threat of violence, and all the fear this induced among the masses, that's how Caesar got what he wanted throughout his vast empire. He exercised power by calling on his military to do whatever necessary to maintain control. This included atrocious acts of brutality and terror, acts like 
crucifixion. The sword was the power of Caesar. In contrast, the gospel is the power of God. That is the way in which God gets things done. By unleashing the gospel, the good news of God's love revealed in Jesus, that's the power of God. Here's a second example to help us understand what this might mean. Our missionaries, Olivia and Phil from Nicaragua, they were here with us last week, and they shared some of what uh, the politics of Nicaragua are like in the present day. In present-day Nicaragua, the law is the power of current President Ortega. The law is the power of Ortega. The law and the unchecked authority to rewrite the law as he sees fit. That's the power of Ortega. You see, historically, presidents in Nicaragua could only stay in office for two terms if re-elected, just as in our country. However, Ortega found a way around this. He simply rewrote the law and changed the Constitution so that now he's serving in his 13th consecutive year as president. As our missionary shared, a whole lot of people aren't happy about it. The way in which President Ortega got what he wanted, which was to stay in power, was by rewriting the law. The law is how he gets things done in the world. The law is the power of Ortega. In contrast, you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> in contrast, the gospel is the power of God. God gets what God wants by means of the gospel. God exercises God's authority over individuals and families and societies by applying the gospel to each. God's kingdom is advanced. God's reign is expanded throughout the world through no other means than the gospel of Jesus. Not by the sword does God's mission move forward. Not by force or coercion, not by politics, not by the law, not even by God's law, surprisingly, does God's mission move forward. If you read the letter to the Romans, here's a significant point that Paul's trying to make. <laughs> to the shock of the Jews, God does not choose to advance God's kingdom through the law. Now, the New Testament is written, but it's not a new law we must try hard to obey, as if God's saying, here's a new list of rules and regulations, now start following them. There's no power in that strategy, God knows, at least not the kind of power that changes lives. That's not how God chooses to get things done. Of course, God's law is holy and good. God wants us to keep the law, for sure. But here's what Paul says later in Romans chapter 13. He says, The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We love another by having our hearts changed from the inside out, not by trying hard to follow the law. Our hearts are changed by receiving the gospel 
which is the power of God. The gospel, the good news of God's lavish love for all of us, that's the power of God. God gets what God wants through the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? Lord, help us. This is so important. Now, Paul uses the term gospel as a kind of shorthand. Gospel has come to mean, for him and his communities, this. All of God's saving acts in human history, the greatest of which has happened in Jesus. That's all the gospel. God has done a whole lot of rescuing throughout history, and all of it is gospel, good news. But the climax of God's rescue operation is Jesus. God's own entrance into the world in the person of Jesus. That's the focal point of the gospel. It's a power play like no other, isn't it? God the Son emptied himself of all power, surrendered to death for our sake, even death on a Roman cross. But on the third day, you know what happened, don't you? Our God robbed the grave. Hallelujah. I heard a friend of mine, African-American preacher, uh, preach last uh, Wednesday night. There's a little bit different of a response when he preaches. I wonder why. might just be the crowd. Our God robbed the grave. Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. That's what I want you to say. <laughs> Christ rose from the dead. And the power of death was defeated. The power of death was defeated. The power of God's work in Jesus defeats the power of death. That's the gospel. That's why the gospel is the power of God. Now, it's not just death that is defeated. But get this, and Paul lays out this later in Romans. We'll talk about it some next week. It's not just death that is defeated by the gospel, by Christ's death and resurrection. All the forces that death employs to stay in power, they are defeated too. You see, death employs the power of sin and Satan to control our lives for the worse. Yeah? But get this. These powers too were defeated when God robbed the grave. That is the gospel. And listen to this. We can experience now the freedom from sin, death, and all forces of evil that seek to ruin our lives. We can experience now the freedom from all of those powers. Why? Because of the power of the gospel. We don't have to wait until we die. Thanks to the power of the resurrected Jesus, who sends his spirit of power to live in us and to live among us, we can experience freedom now. The gospel is the power of God. It's how God gets things done around here. The gospel is how God changes lives, families, societies, including your life and my life. So Paul continues, the gospel is the power for what? 
for salvation. A salvation that begins now and lasts forever. Lord Almighty, thank you for the gospel. So let's recap. What does God do with God's power? Not what humans do with power, often. <laughs> God uses power to bless us. What does God do with God's power? God saves. God saves humanity from itself. God uses the gospel, which isn't just a message, but also a source of immeasurable energy. God uses it to save us. Why does God use power this way? Because God loves us. That's it. (laughs) God loves you and me and all of our neighbors, and he longs for our best. We belong to Jesus Christ, Paul reminds the church in Romans, and we are God's beloved. That's why the power of the gospel is for our salvation. Now, I asked earlier, would you like more power in your life? So what do you think? Would you? (laughs) A related question is this. Maybe this will help. What do you need saved from? Hmm? What do you need freed from? If, if freedom is going to become a present-day you're going to need more power in your life. So what is it then that you need rescued from? Let me give you some examples. Maybe it's an addiction. I have people near and dear to me struggling with addiction. Perhaps you do too. Maybe it's a messed-up relationship. Maybe it's uncontrollable, uncontrollable anger that arises seemingly without your permission. Maybe it's an envious eye that leaves you discontent with what you have and always longing for what others have. What if you could have power over these things in your life? Maybe it's busyness and distraction, which though exciting in the moment, eventually leads to overwhelming stress, surprising loneliness, and exhaustion. What if you could have the power to live differently? Maybe it's excessive worry that has you in its grips, or temptations of other kinds. Or maybe it's as simple as as pride. Yes, there must be at least one person here who needs to be saved from pride. (laughs) Pride keeps you thinking about mostly yourself, your future, your dreams, your desires. For the prideful person, the rest of the world seems to orbit around your life and what you have going on. Such a life of pride will soon become a life of misery. But what if you could be saved from this misery? What if you could be rescued from all that prevents you from living the joy-filled, others-oriented, abundant life Jesus offers? My friends, we can. (laughs) You can. How? Not by your own strength. Not by trying really hard, not by relying on your own wit or power, but by the power of God, you can be free. The gospel is the power of God for freedom, for salvation, for the life that is really life. 
if we but tap into the gospel power of God, our lives will change for the better. Do you believe this? So how do we do that? How do we get access to such power? This is hugely important. We access God's power through faith. Faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. To whom? To everyone who has faith. Faith is the instrument by which we receive God's gospel and therein God's power. Listen up. The degree to which our faith grows is the degree to which we are able to experience the power of God made real in our lives. Well, what is faith? Some of us assume, maybe many of us assume, we know what Paul means by the word faith, but some of us may just be wrong. (laughs) It's difficult to wrap our minds around all these concepts. Power, gospel, faith. Paul is sometimes hard hard to understand as the Bible itself affirms. So what does Paul mean by the word faith, or in Greek, pistis? Roman scholar Douglas Moo defines faith like this. He says, to believe, or to have faith, is to put full trust in God. It is to surrender to God as an act of the will Faith is not primarily agreement with a set of doctrines, but trust in a person, the person of Jesus. Faith is always a response, an accepting of the gift God holds out to us in his grace. Put most simply, to believe is to trust Jesus. Do you trust Jesus? philosopher and well-loved teacher Dallas Willard thinks that the way we commonly use the word faith today is completely different from the way the Bible uses the word faith. So he recommends we replace all occurrences of the word faith in the Bible with the word trust. He writes, to have faith in God is simply to trust God, to rely upon him in face of all our fears. Do you rely upon Jesus in the face of all your fears? Do you depend on Jesus for power, energy, and guidance? Do you have confidence that that Jesus knows better than you? That he is more brilliant than you? (laughs) Do you trust Jesus enough to do as he says, not as you say? Do you even know what Jesus says? Or is your faith Let's be real here. Is your faith nothing more than a belief that God exists out there somewhere? But mostly you have faith in yourself to get along just fine in the world without the intervention of God. If so, then you will never know the power of God intended for your salvation here and hereafter. You got to have faith to receive the power of God in your life. 
Faith in the gospel, faith in the resurrected Jesus, faith in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead and who can raise you up to from whatever pit you're in. You got to have faith, we say. But what we sometimes mean is that we have to believe in ourselves. <laughs> Come on, you can do it. You just got to have faith. Often when we say this, we're referring to faith in ourselves, not faith in God. What we mean is that a person needs to believe that she has some inner power to accomplish great things, to reach her potential. She just has to have faith in herself, confidence in her own ability to get through this. But friends, listen up. That's just about the opposite of what Paul means by the Greek word pistis, faith, trust. For Paul, faith means not trusting oneself, admitting that one does not have the internal resources to deal with life, and then trusting in God's resources and power made available through friendship with Jesus. Where is your faith located? In yourself or in Jesus. This is why the 12-step recovery program has worked for so many. <laughs> if you don't know, it's a, it's a program started by followers of Jesus, and they understood what Paul meant by faith. It wasn't that the addicts just need to believe in themselves a little more. It's that they must <laughs> admit, that's the first step, that they are totally inadequate to defeat their addiction. They don't have faith in themselves. Faith in themselves is what got them into this mess in the first place. We must admit that we have no internal resources to deal with our mess. And then we must have faith, have trust in God and God's power to bring us through. That's faith according to Paul. So let me close with the word to those of us who don't have faith, but would like to. Or maybe to those of us who have a little faith, but would like a little more. The Bible makes clear that faith is a gift. The thing about gifts is that we can't earn them. We can't obtain them by trying hard. We can't pretend we possess them when we don't. <laughs> That does us no good. Saying to yourself or others, you just have to believe. It's not going to work. And get this, we shouldn't act like we believe something when we don't. We can't make ourselves or others have faith. Wherever there is doubt, the way forward is always to acknowledge it openly and honestly. But there is something else we can do after that. What we can do, if we would like more faith, and this comes straight from Jesus' mouth, what we can do if we want more access to God's power to change our lives for the better is this. We can ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and and the door will be open, 
Jesus says, and he's talking about faith, trust. He's talking about how we come to believe deep down in Jesus' resurrection power, a power that's available for renewing our lives, our families, and our world, even now. I think Dallas Willard has it right. He says, Faith is a gift that is yours for the asking. (laughs) Striving or pretending is not the way to faith. Simply say to God, Lord, give me faith. I am ready for it. Take me through whatever I need for it. That is the way forward. Or as Paul puts it later in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, the gospel. So if you'd like more faith, more relational trust in Jesus, more confidence in his power that's available to you, then ask for it. Seek it by listening more attentively and regularly to the word of Christ. Surround yourself with fellow disciples of Jesus who are also learning how to live and love like Jesus loved. Do this consistently, and there will come a day when you will notice within yourself, perhaps to your surprise, what Paul calls faith, a willing response to the loving embrace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.